Hello, how are you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil was your Easter? You have a good time? Too much of a good time? That's all right. Just let yourself off the hook for a bit. Pop your feet up, grab your brew, do whatever you need to do, because we're here. It's episode 37 of the Two Shot Podcast with Mr. Shane Atwell. Now, this week, all I want to say is thanks so much for downloading and subscribing. It, it really means the world to us that you're here. I'm not going to tell you about anything else. What I'm going to tell you about is Shane. This is his episode. It's a brilliant episode. We cover a lot. Now, you may have seen Shane recently, very recently actually, in Cleo Barnard's film Dark River, opposite Ruth Wilson. You may have seen him opposite Tom Hardy in the film Legend a couple of years back. You may have seen him in The Last Days of Judas Iscariot on stage, in King Lear, in Enron, in Death of a Salesman, in Shawshank Redemption, in the West End. He's a lovely bloke. He's a brilliant, brilliant soul. I'm thrilled he came on. And honestly, strap yourself in. We go to a lot of places, but let's start off in Wales. This is episode 37 of the Two Shot Podcast with Mr... Shane Atwell. I'll see you at the end. Enjoy. Does it feel strange? What? Being here? Um, no, not really. It just feels a bit like being in, when you've been arrested. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to create a safe environment for people to talk. Yeah, and just waiting for another copper to come in and just look at me like, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, this is, this is, this is a... Uh, this is Derek, he's lovely. <laughs> Good cop, bad cop. <laughs> yeah, anyway. When you say, if you were from the... Because you're from the valleys, that you should be having, like, a, a nice pint of bitter. Where, well, whereabouts in the valleys? I was from a, a little place called Risca, which is just outside Newport. And I was on a housing estate called Teesign. Teesign. <laughs> I, th- I thought you said Teesside. No! Teesign. T-sign. T-Y-S-I-G-N. T-sign. Right. And it's um, it's just outside Newport, but it's just into the valley. It's about four and a half miles up from Newport. So just before it starts turning into bandit country. Right. It's that kind of middle ground. And, um, yeah, it was a housing estate that was built for Lamborn Steelworks. And... Um, when I was living there, nobody nobody worked at Lamborn Steelworks. <laughs> nobody had a job, so it was just it was just a big big a big plot on the landscape, really. You know, I always remember the other side. We could see the beautiful mountains from our houses, but my dad used to say, "Ah, but look at the shit they're looking at." So they used to look at us. Yeah, it was just this enormous sprawling. Um, what year was that? What, what were you? What? I was born in '68, so I would have been yeah. That would have been I was on that estate. Well, most of all my life, all my early life, until I was 14. And then we moved to a little bit down to the nicer houses. When you say nicer houses? Well, it was sort of the T... It was, it was tough, you know. That T sign was, was, was... It was mental. 
I mean, it was absolutely, it was, it was like. In what respect? In that it was gorgeous. It was lovely. It had everything. It was, it had, it, 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 nobody had a job. Nobody seemed to have a job. So it just felt like um, everybody was at it. Everybody's fiddling. It was, it had all the, it went from, it had all the extremes. It had the, you know, the laughter and the fun, but it also had that kind of abject poverty and that. Darkness. Real darkness, Craig. You know, proper sort of. You know, now if we look back at it, they, people had nothing at all. You know, it was, it was almost like they were, they were forgotten. And, I, and, and it's, I was thinking about it this morning coming out on a train. It was a place that was just trapped within itself. We never went to Newport, never went to Cardiff, never went up the valleys. Just stayed in Risca. In that community. In that community. And it was big. You know, it was massive. But then my, when you come back to what you said, or you asked about that further down, it was like the older Risca, which was when the mines were there and all. It wasn't the estate. The people down there were like, oh, I'm not going up there, man, up to the estate. They're, they're savages. <laughs> they're savages up there. <laughs> so it was, we moved down. Again, we had a council house swap, so we went down and, um, yeah. And, um, yeah, my dad decided he would he'd renovate the house. And so you, your dad, your mum... And my sister, Vicky. Sister, is she oh, younger than younger, you? Younger, 18 months younger. Right. Yeah. So not a huge amount of difference. No. No, not at all, really. But um, big enough to get on? Well, with her? Yeah. No, never got on really. Really? No, we were two just two different characters, and she was treated differently within our family than I was. I was like this little blue-eyed boy, you know. And my sister, and to this day, you know, we're we're great friends now. I mean, she's so dear to me. But we didn't for forty years. We didn't really. We weren't connected for forty years. Maybe yeah, because we were we were treated so differently. She went through it, you know, and it resulted in the way her, her life ended up, you know. And she won't mind me saying, but it ended up with a lot of drugs and a lot of abuse and a lot of terrible things. So we never really connected. I shot off, you know, we'll get to the London thing in, the, in time. But yeah. we never, we just, it wasn't, I used to, you know, I used to be, we never really connected, you know. We were never treated the same by parents, by by. Nans and, and all because families. other members of your family sort of put you on a pedestal. They did a little bit. They became became you know, I was all dancing, all singing, you know, all a bit like oh Shane's doing this and Shane's doing that and Shane's doing this and so oh, look at Shane's doing that and what do you think about Shane then? <gasps> and my poor old sister's fucking you know stuck in the middle of it. Is that is that a firstborn thing, a male thing, or <sighs> I don't know. I think I don't know. Maybe it's about getting out. Maybe they see op- people see the opportunities. They see a little spark in someone, and think, "Oh, we're gonna, you know, maybe that's our way out. Yeah, maybe that there's a route for that, you know. Well, maybe there's our hope. There's our hope. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't try to be as arrogant as think I was a hope, but there must, there was an element of something there. You no, know? I'm not. But I, you know, I'm not saying that that specific thing is, but. I've heard stories of that yeah, before, yeah. where they put all yeah, that pressure absolutely. on that child, whether yeah. it be the the, the first yeah. or the last. Very well. I never the felt the pressure though. I didn't feel that pressure. I kind of was doing what I did, but it's only now, you know, in the last five ten years, I really realise what a, how difficult it was for my for sister. Her. Oh, I, you know, you know, you know, grandparents actually saying, you know, well, you're not really important, are you? She's only told me that, you know, recently, and it's. It's such a, it's just a dreadful thing. You know? Isn't it interesting that um, very, very young children mm. or the elderly feel that they can say whatever the fuck they, they want? They can say exactly what they like. <laughs> and the youngest always comes from a place of innocence, yeah. and the elderly comes from a place of knowing. Knowing, or of, the or, assumption they do know. 
You know. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and I think I think it's unforgivable some of the things that you know might probably was probably said to my sister over the Abs- years. I'm sure. And like I said, I, it resulted in her having a, a tumultuous kind of life, really. You know. But how um, great that you've, uh, you know, restored and reconnected. Yeah, you do connect, but it's. A, I think it's about realizing. I just realizing I love her. You know what I mean. And that she's my sister, and, yeah. and it's time to remember. You know, I think we often get so caught up in our own, and our own path, and our own journey, and our own sort of drive. You know, I think, think sometimes we have to sit back, sit back a little bit, and just think, "Hang on a minute." You know, what about them, or what about her, or what about him, or, or what about the important stuff? What important <laughs> fucking stuff, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Jesus. So, what did your parents do for a living? <laughs> well. <laughs> Well, my mum, my, I don't think my mum, my mum worked a little bit. What did she do? She was at Suflex, but I, she was, was a factory down the road, but I only remember one day, and that's when she took me on strike. But I think I, I've, that's gone out of my mind. But then I know when I was 13 or 14, she was cleaning at the school, so she would go off and clean. But most of the time, I didn't, she didn't really, I never knew that she had a job. Whereas my dad, on the other hand, he did everything. I mean, he had, he, he, was, he was a non-conformist. And, you know, he he was, you know, he was an enemy of the law. Right. You know, without putting a, a a label on him. He did a few things that, you know, policemen didn't really like. Yeah. But he had this amazing ability to, he was a real dreamer. He would have been in the Merchant Navy and he'd come back and he'd been around the world, you know, and he's like 22 now. He's come that, back. Was that, he went on the merchant, in the Merchant Navy before you were born? Yeah, 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 well before I was born. So yeah. he was around when you yeah, were... He was yeah, he was in Brooklyn, let's see, in Little Richard when he was 17, do you know what I mean? Really? He's from Wales and, you know, suddenly he's out there. He, he was doing, he was in, getting shot at in Argentina and fucking, you know, being... He told me this great story about they wouldn't let him into a club in South Africa, which we'll get, this is why I'm, the way... I'll get to this in a minute, but why he, he gone to South in South Africa? He went to a club and they wouldn't let him have a tie, wouldn't let him in without a tie. So he got stripped naked, put his sock around his neck, and died through the skylight. What? <laughs> and you go, you go. Ah, I start to understand now. I'm starting to understand this. This is where it's coming from, right? And he was. So he was that character. And then he go, right, Shane. I am going to be a fisherman. And you go, right? Well, carp fishing away. No, I'm going to build a boat. I'm going to build a trawler. I'm going to build it in a garage. And he would build, he built a trawler in the garage on the side of a mountain. He didn't. Launched it in the canal, went to Portland, launched it, went for a cup of tea, came back, tied it on out, and it was hanging off the, <laughs> hanging. <laughs> but he stayed for six months. And, he, and, you know, he was always leaving us. You know, my mum and dad, it was terrible. It was always leaving. But then the Pope was coming and he would go, right, right, the Pope's coming. There's got to be some money made out of this. So I'll get a load of pictures, I'll frame them up, I'll go around the houses and I'll, I'll sell pictures of the Pope. But it was like that non-stop. And he couldn't, he couldn't, he just had this, this thing about him which was mental. Mental. Like, and my poor mother, there would be nothing in the house. He, he was an antiques dealer. He, you know, we dragged me down to Ashton Gate in Bristol to sell furniture that he'd made out of pine because he saw, you know, an opening. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I've seen an opening, Shane. Yeah. He had a roulette system that he knew. Oh, I can sort this gambling out, man. I reckon this is easy. I know I've got a thing going on. So he was always, always on a go. So he never really had a job. And when he did have a job, somewhere like he worked in a, I won't name them, but he worked in a... We can bleep it out, it's fine. Yeah, but he worked in a, in a warehouse called Corey's. And uh, 
And then he said, look at this now, Shane, look at this. I've changed the van. I've changed the, he put a false floor in. And he, can't, he couldn't just go and do a job. He had to steal everything from there. So he would come home every night from his night shift with salmon and Nutella and, you know, all these different things. So our house became like a, it was like a fence, really. Everybody came around and go, Mike, got any of that salmon? Yeah, I got plenty of salmon for you, boy. But he could never, ever just do a straight job. So it was always on the mic. Always on the break. Always, always like there was all the, the electric meter was always like running off someone else's. You know, bailiffs were always at the house. It was just, it was fucking, it was brilliant actually. We used to scream with laughter. Just some of the things, and, and it's like it's like a, it's like fourteen year episode of um, Boys from Blacksnuff. Right, <laughs> that's what it felt like. You know, odd, mum, like everything. It was so. In terms of having jobs. Yeah, he didn't really have choice, but I tell you what, he managed to get some money, and that some of the things he did were just—it was extraordinary. And he got by. We always got by. I mean, Mum used to get really frustrated because she suffered from depression as well until I found out later. Right. So, um, so there was ne- there was often times where there was no food in the house, and he'd still be off doing his thing, you know, because he was a complete nut, a dreamer. And I'm linking that back to the Merchant Navy thing. Yeah. And that's what he instilled in me—this sense of great adventure. You got to go out. Don't judge anybody. Don't judge. Do any. Just get out there. There's this massive world. Yet he's living in a tiny community, and just embrace this fucking great big world, you know. And that's. I mean, I'm thankful. There's lots of things I'm not thankful for him for. Yeah. But for that, was a terrific thing. And you did that cause a fractious relationship with your mum and dad? My mum and dad's relationship was the worst relationship you could ever have. There was a lot of violence. There was a lot of me with my mother and my sister sort of out in the street, not, you know, being thrown out and stuff. Then there was moments of just absolute euphoric joy, just like the best times. But Christmas time was a terrible time because it was, it was, it was always the pressure of money, of nothing, and they, you know. So my dad, I don't think he responded well to pressure. So it was a really, again, tumultuous sort of relationship, really. And it was mental, it was mental, you know, Mad, mad. So it really was the best of times and worst of times. Yeah, best of times and worst of times. But interestingly, looking back, there, there was a period between about six, well, no, probably 18 to 30, where I thought it was all brilliant. And it wasn't until later I realised, speaking more of my sister and about her journey as well, the, that it was The just, ripple effect and what Yeah, it's done. but it was, you know, it wasn't just us. Every morning was like that. Every single person. You know, all these families were going through shit. My dad was, wasn't a drinker, which was a bonus. That was such a bonus. But he didn't touch a drop ever? No, he was kind of very disciplined because he was always his control freak. Well, I, I assume he was. So he never, ever did. So everything was methodical, you know? Everything was methodical. It was always a plan to do stuff. I mean, you know, I mean, one of the great... You know, it's not a great story. My mum probably won't forgive me. You know. But he had a terrible argument with my mother once. I used to think things through. So when you have an argument with someone, you think, OK, he went outside late at night and called up to her and when she looked down he was digging her grave do you know what I mean it was methodical everything was it was about it wasn't just it, it, it was it, you thought about the whole thing yeah I mean, you obviously wasn't going to kill her no but I mean? Shane that is that's really do you know what dark what I mean? isn't it? because the thing is you know when you have that that argument with your partner or whoever or someone that yeah. you love 
you don't really think about what you're saying. All you want to no. say is the most hurtful, hurtful thing, thing in the world. That person yeah, yeah. And for it to explode. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's no winners. There's never any fucking winners. It's always so, no. st- it's always so stupid. It's yeah. always over the yeah. smallest it, thing. We talked about yesterday, me and Rachel, the same thing. She like said that because you said something bad to me, you know. And that's what we do. And I felt resentment for what you said. And yeah. I felt I had to yeah. get you back. Yeah. Or you told yeah. me to do yeah. this. And I was in control. But you don't dig it. But you don't. Well, that's the thing, because that ceases to become an argument, doesn't it? If someone goes, all right, okay, give me a minute, let me really think about this, because that's not spur-of-the-moment stuff. No, it's not. He's gone away there, and he's really thought about what would be the (laughs) the most chilling thing. That's why we were brought up in, you know? We never knew. So we never knew what would happen. That was was a certain unpredictability of it. And me and my old man, you know, it wasn't too late I fought with him and, you know, physically fought with him and, and... um, I always felt I had to protect my mother non-stop, you know, always had to. Again, I say me, I think everybody on that estate, there were boys and girls going through the same shit, but yeah. just different levels of it, you know what yeah. I mean? Because there was such an element of desperation. You know, in the 70s, this is pre-Thatcher, and then Thatcher comes in, you know, it basically doesn't exist, the place. You know, nobody exists, You're nothing really. And I think everybody was going through that, the demise of industry, the demise of everything. And I th- it's all relative, and I've always be said that. You're, wherever your story is, it's relative to what's going on around you, you know, particularly in those in those places are, which are full of extremes. Do you know what I mean? I mean, there was lots of stuff where we were growing up. We we were classed as the posh people. Well, that's the thing. Only because we were really poor. There was times we had nothing, but we were kind of posh because... We're not posh, posh, but posh in the sense that up the road, the kids had got killed in a fire... Or their boy had been, you know, had gone on electric pylons and they were killed. There was caught there. They were the real poor people, you know. They got problems with drink. They're poor. Yeah. And it's not, you know. So it was quite an interesting place to be. It's that thing, isn't it? There's always someone worse off than you. Yeah, there is. There is. There's always, always someone worse you're off. You're at school. There's always someone harder than you. Absolutely. There's always someone who's smarter than yeah, you. Yeah, and I would never have received any physical abuse in that respect, you know, or anything like that, you know. I mean, it sounds like a terrible picture I'm painting here, but... It was no, a I massive celebration some... in a way. It was just the Jubilee was about, you know, as, as anti-royalist as I am now, well, I've always been. But there was a sense of coming together. Everybody was coming together. Yeah. And there was a moment where everybody went, oh, forget all this shit, let's have a party. You know, everybody was in, in each other's houses. Everybody was having gorgeous, you know. But then you should go behind the doors and it was... Ugh, it's just know, the same, oh, but for those few hours. Yeah, yeah. A moment of greatness. Yeah. Know. But, you know. How was... School. I, I don't really remember much about primary school, really. Let's um, jump. Let's jump. Yeah, like a secondary school. That was amazing, man. It was, it was just. It was just. It was amazing. I can always picture you at school. Oh, can you? Yeah, I always. I, I always thought of you at school as the person who I would look up to at school. Oh. And I don't know if I would be right in saying that. Oh, there was a lot of that, I think. Yeah. I think. So I was right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to be friends well, with him. Well, you know what? The thing was, I came from a background, a tough back. I could handle myself. Yeah. Right? I could have a proper tear-up. I'd learned that saying in London. I, I have a proper scrap back it was. <laughs> but I also had a family, you know, I had a father who was, a, you know, bigger than larger than life. Also, I was a bright boy as well. And I played a lot of football. And I played all the sports. And I was singing the Ice Dead Food. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I never had any girlfriends. I was shit with girls, but apart from that, I, were you shit with girls? Yeah, hopeless. hopeless. Is that because you were too busy? No, I wasn't too busy. I was just like not for lack of trying. No, <laughs> I didn't try really. I was wasn't just I wasn't very confident about it. I think at an early age, I was still kind of enamoured with the idea of love. 
yeah. and that idea that it, when it happens, it happens. And I can never... Also, I was brought up by women. Every woman in my... I was surrounded by women. The men were knobbins most of the time. You know, they were... You know, they either had problems with alcohol or they, had, they were this way or that way and they were this... And I was brought up by these really nurturing women. And I think I saw girls early on in my life as more like friends. I didn't... The idea of actually having girlfriends. I think, yeah, it didn't... It passed me by. Well, it's hard, isn't it? It is it hard is. at that age because you just... And also the way that... I always remember thinking, certainly at high school, God, the girls seem to be growing up... Yeah. ...much quicker than yeah. we are. We're still, like, pissing about being yeah. primary school kids yeah. and they're just sort of walking around like the cock of the wall. Yeah, well, we had oh, options night the other night with Ava and she's 13... Right. And Rachel went. This is your daughter? Yeah, my yeah. daughter, Ava. And um, Rachel said every time she said hello to a boy, they just went, pulled their hair down and the oh, yeah, oh, whatever, yeah. She's got it was unbelievable. She, and she's like going, hi, hi. And they're all going, oh, God. Oh. So confident. She's just so confident. And they can just do that. Yeah, exactly. And she's like a foot taller than any of the boys. They're still there with their big... Big shirts and their fucking ties like that going. Are you all right, Dave? All right, are you very doing all right? Yeah, what are you doing this week? <laughs> you know, just jelly, jelly. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't have much. I don't think, I, I wasn't very aware of it really. Just wasn't, you know. So sporty. It's very sporty. Academic, pretty yeah, good. Yeah, very academic. It was a Welsh speaking school or not? No, there no. Was never was never any Welsh speaking. We didn't even know about Wales, Welsh, uh, the Welsh language growing up you know it was an industrial an industrial area of the country that had been sort of you know it'd been monopolized by the english back in the you know during the kind of um the the, the industrial revolution right you know it was just like that was coal mining that was steelworks that was the docks we didn't have it we had anybody who spoke welsh you're like well you with my mom you know i mean my, my mother now when it was i think it's about 20 years ago where they changed all the signs my mother doesn't even know what street she lives in that's, I mean, she doesn't, it's all those kind of... You know, I, I say there used to be a place called Ukawith above us, a, a mountain, and I, I remember shooting something in Wales years ago and someone came back to us and they pronounced it and it's just completely different <laughs> to the way we said it. It was like, <laughs> I don't know what it was. Yeah. I mean, we all, we all in, in that part, where everything was phonetic. So, you know, you, you had no concept of language or it was just wasn't part on the radar, you know, at all. And um, I don't think anybody really gave a shit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know I mean? And you don't speak Welsh now, do no. you? No. No, not at all. I left when I was early, much, you know, I left after school, you know, very early. So I, I was never part of that kind of, the, uh, that kind of big change, that big movement in, in schools in Wales. Right. I left well before that, but, yeah. And was drama on your syllabus? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And how was that? I loved it. Did you? Oh, God, man, I loved it. And I used to tit around and I'd just have fun, you know what I mean? It was like, you know, it's showing off, isn't it? And you just, you felt you were, and I could sing as well. And uh, so, but I don't much remember much about the actual drama. I, I then did music at school. Oh, did you? And that's when I started really getting into it. You know, I was doing shows with, you know, schools and school shows and stuff. And then a bloke, Bob Isaac, said, go to, there's a place called Gwent Theatre, and I think they'd really like you, which was miles away up in Abergavenny. And it was Gwent Theatre. It was a, it was a, it was a, a TIE company, basically. What age were you now? I was twelve. And right. He said, "Look, go, to, go for it. Go and go and see them." And and they were, but it was like miles away. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like an hour and a half, two hours to get there. 
On the train or the uh, bus? No, on the bus. Right. I'd have to go to Newport. They probably, you know, it was really, really <sighs> tough. But I went there and my old man went, I'll take you every week. He really? Took me every week. And then he started, you know. Did he stick to his promise? He did stick to his promise. And he, then he kind of cast his web much bigger and suddenly was, you know, things going on in Abergavenny that suited him really well. Oh, you know? okay. But I did, and I did, and I, but I went from, you know, I went from doing impersonations in front of Bob Isaacs, the teacher, yeah. to doing Caucasian Chalk Circle, the Miser, you know. Doing, at such a young at age. At such a young age. I was doing wow. Alcestis, you know, Euripides, Alcestis. And my mind went, you know, was blown. Yeah. And then it's that classic thing. I'm sure we've all had it. We see these heroes there, you know. There was a guy, Gary Meredith and Steve Badman. They were running it. And they just became my gods. <laughs> the smoke roll-ups and everything. I'm like... I am going to get a moustache. I want to be like him. I want to be him. You know, and this transformation starting to happen. And I, could, and I thought, I'm going to be an actor. Because when if I act, I am going to smoke roll-ups. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I did. It was amazing. And I was just taken in by them. And I had years of just doing it. And that then went into the school as well. So I was bringing that back to school. Yeah. And then I found there was a woman called Anne Hukins who said, you know, do we, we should give him singing lessons, and we couldn't afford singing lessons. Because they saw something in you. Yeah, right. they did. You know, and it was lovely. That they wanted to hone. I think so, or they just gave me an opportunity. You know, and I and so she got me, gave me singing lessons in Killian for nothing, and 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 it was I had about three or four of those, and then I was in choirs, and I was doing Foray's Requiem Mass or The Messiah by Handel in wow. fucking massive places, and I thought this, this is it, while well, I'm having it, you know. So it was a really quick thing. My, that school was amazing for that. Not many other people picked up on did the drama. Lots of people did the music. And to this day, you know, are musicians and, and, you know, run things and do things. But it was quite electric for, a, for I'd say, 13 to, to 16. It was just so much going on. That's so incredible that it was so creative and it, they saw the, that. Yeah, on the shit, in the shittest place in the world. Yeah. You know, and they did, and they put on shows, and they did things, and you'd go into the, you know, they'd say, right, Shane, and my mum couldn't afford it, but they'd pay for me to go on a school, you know, they'd say, let's go and see um, a, a Shakespeare at the National, and they'd, you know, they'd, do, they'd, they'd put the money, they'd put a few quid in for, for my mum and stuff. It was so lovely. They really, they took on board those kids, you know, those the kids who didn't have much. Really. You know, it's such little stories like that of inspiration mm. and hope that you go... Just get things like that on the syllabus. Do you know what I mean? Just stand non-stop because you just don't know no. what is going to happen what, what or what it's going to do. Yeah. If that can happen to yeah. one or two yeah. children, yeah. then you've done your job. Well, you know what? There was it was a school trip that was probably paid by the school for me, but to my mum, I went to see. I went to see. Um, ironically, it's in the, at the national now. I went to see. Um, this is, the, is, this is the National Theatre of Wales you're talking about? Is no, that no, no, this is the National in London. Oh, really? I went what, to London. You've got a trip to I London. Went to, I went to London no to see way. Shakespeare by. I mean, it was extraordinary, you know. And they really took me under their wing. And then you've got the new theatre in Cardiff, and I saw Amadeus with... Uh, and, and, I, and it, you know, it's just... It had it not been for that opportunity to go and see that stuff, and, and or, or go and do these choir things with Gwent Choir, or go to Gwent Theatre... Had I stayed in that little town or village, it was not village, it's a town really, it's massive really, but I don't think there would have been, I don't think I would have ever, you know, got away from it really. But probably not. You need to, no. even if it is just going down the road to see somebody on stage, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. well, there's a possibility that yeah. 
that's what I could do. Well, I, I could actually do yeah. that. Because like, they're doing it. Exactly. Well, I saw, in Amadeus, I saw Sean Tudor Owen in it, doing, playing Amadeus. Playing Mo- Mozart in it. And I, I, then I did, you know, 25 years later, I, did, I was doing Serrano de Bergerac, and I said to him, you made me become an actor. And he was so, t- you know, no it's those way. amazing things, isn't it? Which yeah. you go, you know, it did. It just it all really comes did. around, it though, doesn't it? It all comes around. Yeah. And then we get into this little world, we all come here, and it, it all makes a difference. But I do think... The big push is about is about from my old man that sense of adventure because I was ready to go, man. I was like at a young age. I was off. I was I was I was ready to go. You know, I wanted I wanted I wanted out. I knew there was something going to happen. You know, if it meant just getting on a coach down the M4, I knew I had to go. And I kind of sat with it all the time. It always felt comfortable. I just felt like oh, I'm getting in trouble with the police or I'm getting arrested or this is happening. But I know at the end of it, I'm going to London. I yeah. know it's going to happen. That was always the path. Yeah, I knew I was going to London. I saw that advert with that bloke doing Sunday morning, in the, him walking down with the music playing and the wooden floors and getting the white sheets. I went, I'm having that. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. I just knew all the way, you know. And of course, it did. I didn't. You didn't? <laughs> no. What happened? I went to America. I saved all my money and ran away to America. What? I know. Let's just rewind a minute. 17. Let's just rewind. So, right. Leave school at 16. Uh, no, no, no. I'm still in school. I've done, I've done, I've done a couple of, I've got a couple of O levels. Right. Did a bit of drama. Did a bit of, you know, what you had to do. And then I went. I had, a, I had a paper round. I had a milk round. I'd get up, I had a milk round. A paper round. I, I used to pick up. I used to get orders off builders for certain items that they needed, which I'd acquire from other builders who didn't right. know I was acquiring them. Uh, so you. I made this money. Yeah. And um, my uncle studied. Who'd, who'd studied at York University in classics, was living in Atlanta, Georgia. And that is where I'm going. I'm going to save this money up, and I am off, mate. How come the U-turn? From, well, no, from because... The, it's very clear about London. It's very clear about London, but I'm not sure I wanted to be an actor. I just knew I'd get away. And I knew I had to find something. Right. Because this, the world out there is amazing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I did, 17. I ended up in, you know, I flew to... <laughs> you saved up, and you flew Slaved, to Atlanta. I, did, I flew to Newark, and they said to me, you've got to change here. Well, I didn't say it like that, but <laughs> you've got to change, yeah? I was like, what are you on about? I'm in, I'm in Newark, man. That's New York. I'm going to Atlanta. He went, no, it's just, you know, you just got to get another plane. You'll be fine. Yeah. So I went there and I was a bricklayer for, in Atlanta with from, my uncle. From 17 to... Well, no, because I was, that was it. I was done. I was staying. I'd made my mind that I was staying. That is it. When I got there, he was a tour manager. Well, I did a bit of tour managing. So I ended up driving around, going to Alabama. Was your mum's brother? No, my dad's brother. Your dad's brother. Yeah, right. He's dead now, bless his soul. Yeah. But um, I, I just went, and that was it. I just wanted. All I was interested in was finding, and just ex- the world. You know, just being excited by everything. Yeah. And think when I think back, it probably drama allowed me to. That was the excitement going on. So yeah, I ended up in Atlanta, and um, my uncle said, "No, you can't stay. Why? You can't stay. You got to go home." After how long? Uh, seven weeks. Right. He said, "No, that's it. You got to go home." I said, "Well, I would go home." Go and do your A-levels. So that's what I did. I had to come back. But I was set. That was it. For me, that was it. I was off. I'd got out. And then suddenly I was brought back. It felt like, oh, fuck. Shit. How am I going to get out of this? And that's it. went a little bit tits up then. I got kind of caught up in lots of, you know. Shenanigans. Yeah, what we all do when we're that age. You yeah. Know? And you've got that frustration. You've got that anger in you. Well, not necessarily an anger, but 
I kind of you always you kind of think I've got to get out, got to get out, and people piss you off. But also, you're searching for what you want and who you are at that yeah, age, that, aren't that you? Age, so, like, like every fucking like everybody, everybody, yeah. everybody, yeah. No matter what path you're taking, you're looking for something. You're some looking to nail yourself down. Do you know yeah. what I mean? But yeah, so that so I ended up there, came back, and then uh, yeah. And did you do your A levels? I did. Yeah, I did A level drama and art. I think I got them. I don't know. I can't remember if I got yeah. them or not. But then I, 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 I had to go and they asked me if I would do this National Youth Theatre Wales thing. So I went and did that and got into that. And and how long was that for? That was a couple of weeks, I think. It was like a workshop. I right. was sort of sharing a room with Michael Sheen. It was quite it was interesting, that. Two different worlds, but there you go. It was just different boys at different stages in their lives, you know. Yeah. But... Um, do you think I'm more, uh, certainly more privileged people would come or was it a nice mixture? No, or? it was a kind of a mixture, but it was, it was kind of, yeah, there was lots, I think. I, I don't think I was aware of that kind of social divide at that time. I just, all I knew was I was in Cardiff, I was into the Beastie Boys, and his, my mates are coming down from the valleys. We are going to, you know, we're going to have a laugh. Yeah. And then they told, you know, they told me off a lot for that. The they, people who run the National Youth Yeah, Universe, yeah. But they also, on the other hand, they did say to me, I think there's potential. So you could go and do a bit of acting, you know. You could. So they were quite encouraging. Yeah, there was one man in particular. Yeah, he was quite nice. He said, "Look, I think maybe you should look at drama school. Try and get a, get a place in drama school." So I came back from that, which was fun. But it was a jolly. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you know, used like, it more of a jolly yeah, instead of a... Yeah. yeah, but you're 18, you know. Yeah, I can't yeah. sit back and go, I'm going to take this seriously now. This is the beginning of my path, you know. Because you were still unsure, I suppose, at this I was point. still unsure, and also I was still from that... I didn't... I, I, I sensed... I felt uncomfortable there as well because of my background, you know. I felt... Well, you, do you think you were made... Well, do you think... Were you made to feel uncomfortable no. because of that? No. So was I that think, more on your shoulders? Yeah, I think it's always been my way. <laughs> no, I think it's about me, and it was always about me. I just think it was a different world, you know. You know, it's always putting you... I mean, I don't know, you know, we did. We had a... It's not a... This is not about talking about poverty, but we didn't have much, you know. And I'd go into a room in Cardiff and they'd give me a room to share with someone. He was really nice. Yeah. It was a dorm. It was like, and you think, what am I doing here? You know what I mean? Do I belong here? Do I belong here? What's this about? And people, like, they all know their lines and they're all... And there was a big sing-song they had to do at the beginning and everybody's, like, so outrageous and good and... Confident. Uh, confident. And some of them spoke a different language as well because it was, they did, a, they did a Welsh play and that. And I was just like, right, I'm going to get pissed. I'm just going to get pissed with my mates, get my mates down and, you know. And yeah, I think that's probably the first time I thought about it actually, like that. that I felt so uncomfortable. But I also felt like you could never let your guard down, ever, ever, ever let your guard down. I, mean, I don't know where this is going, but. But I think that stems from where you grew up about letting your yeah, guard down, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. We were always protective, you yeah. Know? always protective but we also had that thing instilled in us which was always instilled in me which was always about you had to make a few quid just got to keep you're always looking you're always looking around you know so um you think that comes from your dad as well yeah obviously. without doubt yeah, yeah absolutely without doubt you know um whether it's you know whether it's legal or not you still got to try and find a way and I think that's just a social thing you know that's just my path yeah but uh yeah so it was good it was good it was it was a good experience the, the and it made me go right this is going to be my path out. So it made things clearer. Yeah, it made it clear. It went right. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to. You know. I'm going to try and get in one of them drama schools down in London. So you started investigating the next step. Well, I kind of investigated. I do think I just, as you'll find out in a minute, I probably did my investigations weren't brilliant. Go on. Well, I, I applied to a couple of drama schools, Bristol. Yeah. And Rose Bruford. Right. I went 
obviously the first audition got through. And then on the second one, they said to me, you're a bit young. So do the second part of this. And, um, but we're not going to bring, we're not, we're not, you know, you know, we maybe come back in a few years. So what age were you now? I'm now just 17 and a half. I think, right. Okay. Yeah. I nearly come out to 18. Yeah. And, uh, and then I went to, and then I'm Rose Buford. I applied to Rose Buford and I was like, I wanted to be a classical actor. I wanted to be like a proper classical. And it, <laughs> I ticked the wrong box. I ticked it for the the theatre education course. You didn't. I did, and I didn't get in. And then I got a phone call saying somebody had come. Had somebody had run off with their grant, and there was an available place. And and uh, Kate Hardy's mum rang me and said, "Do you want to come and do it?" And I went, "Yeah." And I got there, and I thought it was going to be like cravats sword fighting and like lots of girls with like long hair and that and I got to this place in Deptford and it was like Greenham Common <laughs> it was amazing but you know I, and I thought ah oh, fucked up but there's no way I'm going back I had no way to live I, my dad gave me he, my dad really did he gave me 200 quid in my hand he said right go so I got on a coach went there I got there and I said to them when I got to the drama school I haven't got anywhere to live so they said oh See if you can sleep on a sofa or somebody. But you know, it's that thing, isn't it? You just drive, you gotta go. You just gotta, gotta get gotta out. Gotta go, yeah, gotta yeah, go. Yeah. And I don't give a fuck. I am off. And now I'm in London. Da -da. <laughs> I've got it. I've landed. I've landed and I, got, and I don't know what bus to get on. <laughs> Where am I going? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, sir. It's all right to call you, sir, is it? <laughs> I, I want to go to Deptford. He said, Oh, you're in Leicester Square, mate. You know, I just hadn't, didn't have a, didn't have a clue. But then, I was amongst the most extraordinary people in the world. Really, and this oh, is Rose Bruford, isn't it? Rose Bruford. Yeah, my, these are all kids. They were, they were kids. They were like thirty and twenty-nine, and they, were you one of the youngest? I was the youngest. He was the, the yeah, youngest. yeah. And they were just the most extraordinary characters. They'd done theatre education. They've been working on it. There was no, no. There was everybody about devising, and I was just caught in this world, man. And it was just. It blew me away, you know. You love it? Oh, I loved it. And I then became like anti-classical theatre. Oh, did you? Yeah, like, yeah, you over there. <laughs> what? Playing football against Rod? <laughs> fuck off. I'm making a difference, boy. I'm writing my own stuff. <laughs> I'm painting my own stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm paint, making it. making it, painting it, smelling it. <laughs> but, they, you know, and I got on, but I could sing. So I started to sing. And uh, that's where drama school went a bit awry. Why? Well, I started gigging everywhere. Oh, did you? Yeah, you so you formed a band? Yeah, no, I had a duo called the Brotherly Brothers. And then we were like, we used to bus in Covent Garden. I used to bus there and make three, four hundred pounds on a weekend. Did you? Yeah, we were, it was brilliant. Who, I mean, was, I got, the, who was the other? It was Frankie Jack. He's from Hull. He was brilliant. And he said to me, uh, he said, do you, uh, I can't do it. Hull's, Hull's different. It's difficult, isn't it? Hull. Like, I'm not going to do him. You don't have to do accents well, on this podcast. He, um, we, he said, do you sing? I went, yeah. He went, do you know any of your brothers? I said, yeah. He said, what do you know? I went, dream. He said, do you want to do it at the cabaret? It's the second, you know. I went, yeah, okay, we did it. This is the cabaret at college? Yeah, people yeah. were just like, oh my God, oh my God, you guys. And then we did. We spent three years gigging. We went back to America, back to Atlanta. To did you? Yeah. We, went, we were in Portugal, we were in, we were in Germany. And then we started getting the comedy scene with Malcolm Hardy, who ran up the creek. And, and, Josh, sorry, sorry, I'm I'm did you finish, did you graduate? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah you just did. about, yeah. Right. Skinny yeah. teeth. Well, kind of skin of my teeth. I didn't. There was no graduation, really. It was kind of just like I, I think I did, yeah. And I got a certificate, right? Which I sent to my mum. I had a degree in theatre and educate a, theater, a community theatre arts, right? Which is amazing. 
think. But this was going so well, the gigging. We were just gigging everywhere, you know. And I was doing my college work and uni stuff, but I was gigging. And I was gigging with people like Glenn Tilbrook from Squeeze. And I was like, you know, it was all like... You know, people were asking me to do, would I support Tony Bennett at the Shepherds Bush Empire? Really? And no, I had no idea who he was, and they said no. <laughs> I said, and that, we got asked to do, we got, also got asked to do between, I think it was Lenny Kravitz and uh, Van Morrison at Glastonbury. And, and Frankie went, no, I'm not doing that. I've got a gig in Deptford because she pays us with sandwiches. No way. <laughs> so we were just like, nothing mattered, you know what I mean? And it started to remind me of that bit. I got, got like I am now. I get really excited, yeah. and everything's about God. I'm like puppy. I don't care, you know. Malcolm Hardy's running the comedy club, and Vic Reeves is running a comedy club over there, and we've got a comedy club there, and we're we're all kind of in in each other's pockets. And it was like, so what were you doing with the comedy? How did it we, transpire? You well, because from... we were a duo, and we would we would do music, we do songs, right? And I would just because we didn't have any PA, with just a guitar, I'd go to tables and just take the piss out of people and just yeah. sing nonstop. And the harmonies were so good, people were kind of like. So they just kept, you know, we kept coming and coming. You know, we were just gigging all the time. So the drama kind of, I got told off a lot, you know, loads and loads and loads. But in a way, they encouraged it as well. They loved the fact that I was going out and working with Malcolm Hardy at the, up the creek. You know, I was support. We, me and Frankie, were supporting. You know, um, Jack D or people like that or right. Mark Lamar or you know, they loved it. But then come the third year, then they started to get a little bit. Because things sort of get a bit more intense in the It's a very different drama school, this. Right. This is nothing like any drama school I can, I've heard, you know. About. Yeah. It was very different. It was very free, very politicised. Encouraged to go on demonstrations. Right. Encouraged to be militant. Encouraged to read and educate yourself. And to speak out. And to speak out. But they kind of misread me slightly from the beginning because they kind of love the idea that this really, I guess, working-class boy from nothing yeah. is in there. And they were like, this, we, this is the kind of voice we want here. And I'm going, I just ran away from all that shit. I don't want this. I don't want that. I just want to be, what are you on about? What do you mean, don't, don't, don't. I, I'm trying to run away from it. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to get away That's from all I that. I don't want. I don't want to be put like that and told that you're going to be this. And we are proud to have this kind of boy from the valleys. I'm like, and then I bumped into people like Brian Hibbard, who lived next door to me in London for flying pickets. Yeah. So we spent loads of time. So I had these mentors, you know. I'm babbling, I'm going on. Going no, 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 no. But these wonderful mentors, you know, and I was gigging and he was doing that and the flying pickets and it was just, I just felt euphoric, you know what I mean? You I feel started, satisfied. Yeah, I did. I felt like it's a bigger world than just, and this is why my career has gone the way it has, it's a bigger world than just that one specific thing. It was all about, you know, everything, whether it's writing or singing or All different dancing, forms of creativity. Everything, bum, 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 bum. Go in, you know, yeah. bring it all in and just fill your head with everything. That's what I try to instill in my girls. Just get it all in and just embrace it. You know, and then suddenly you crash. You crash a little bit at times, don't you? And when did this crash? When, well, did, this, when did this duo stop? Well, that kind of dribbled, dribbled on for a wee while uh, after college. Yeah. We were doing, lo- you know, we did loads of stuff. But then I kind of, um, we didn't have, we never had a graduation. No, no agents came or anything like that. It was basically, it was a Friday, this term finished and that was it. Off you went. So yeah. No, there was no, I, you know, there was none of this kind of like, like oh, agents in or right yeah. away. I didn't even know what a fucking agent was. I had no idea. I was just a bit like, right, let's get out into the world, you know. And that's kind of where I, st- you know. So what did you do? Um, became a primary school teacher. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that came later. I, I, was a bit, I got caught, well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll describe it. I came out of college. One of the women, Kate Versey, said, do you want to come up to Leeds and do a pantomime? But it was a, it's an anarchic pantomime at Leeds City Variety. So I went up there and got in trouble there a bit. 
And um, why did you get in trouble? Well, I got arrested. Well, they tried to arrest me because. What um, for? Can I say names? You can say names because we can always beep it out. It's All funny. right. Um, well, the thing is, I was really funny, you know, as a kid. I, I think I was. I think I was going really well. Yeah. And I was doing all, getting all the gags, and I really hated me for it. Right. And then Reckon got the police in to say that I'd mugged him in a, in a car park in Leeds. What? I know. I'm 20, man. I'm 21. And I'm going, what are you on about? And he said, yeah. And he said, well, did you not recognise him? And he went, um, no, he, um, he had his hood up. And he said, how do you recognise him? I recognise his laugh, apparently. That's what the policeman told me. The laughing mugger. Yeah, so it start, things started to tick into my head that it's not all kind of... People are kind of... People will shit on you, man. People will kind of look at you, even in the business, you know, dancing around in tights and a tutu on stage getting laughs. People don't really like it, you know? Yeah. I probably should take name out, actually. It's all right, we can beep his out. Yeah. Don't say it again. I'm have to him. Three beeps. Yeah. <laughs> So I went up there, did that, and I came back. And then I kind of got caught up in... Well, you probably know this, Craig. I've, probably, I've, I've no doubt I've spoken to you about it. But and then I got caught up with a, with a few... I, I was a singer, right? I was singing in all these places. And I kind of became the Frank Sinatra of Greenwich in that certain men who had done a robbery many years before, in, in, which involved a lot of gold, yeah. kind of went, come here, boy. And I was with them. It took him under his wing. Years, it took under yeah. the wing. Yeah. yeah. And I became a bit of a... You know, I became a little bit of a chap, which was interesting. Were you a gangster's so mall? I was a kind of a gangster's mall, yeah. A little yeah. bit like I had my teeth done and my, my breasts enlarged. And uh, anyway, I did that. So I can't, and then and then I met my wife, my first wife, and she said, "Look, you got to stop all this shit." Yeah. And it was brilliant. She got me out of it. And then I went and did some primary education with her. I Where it's still in London? Yeah, in in Manorfield Primary School in the East End. I loved it. Fuck, I loved it. I was suddenly there, and I, they want me to direct a play. You know, so I did The Wizard of Oz. How how young were the kids? Uh, the kids were between the age of seven and eleven. Right. But I kind of had that thing. I'd been to the theatre. You know, I'd been in a show. I'd been I'd done a professional show. So I wanted everybody to have be part of it. So there was front of house. There was people in the show. There was a choir. I got all my musician friends in, you know. They all came in and started playing and, you know, did all the piano. And I really buzzed off it. But then I kind of started, started longing for, you know, to perform, really. Did you? Yeah. So what did you do about it? I went to an open audition at the Royal Opera House and got a part in Porgy and Bess. <laughs> As an opera singer? No, 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 I wasn't an opera singer. I was the white cop. I think it was two of us. And uh, suddenly, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm in the Royal Opera House going to myself, how the fuck did you get here? Because I did some improv and they loved it. And then, so yeah, I did that. And then they did, they said, oh yes, Ryan, um, we're thinking of doing the film of it. Would you be interested? And I'm like, ah, you know, it was one of those. It was wow. one of those moments. Proper pinch yourself moment. Yeah, yeah. And then I fucked off and went around the world for a bit. Right. Just got to put the brakes on. Yeah. You, why did you fuck everything off and go around the world? Well, because initially, because Marion, my first wife, maybe you have to beat her out as well. She said, look, you have to choose between the gentleman that have had that past of the gold. Yeah. Or we, why don't you, we'll we go away. Let's go. And we went away. So we did. It was a kind of, it was the best thing that could have happened to me because I was getting really deep into that. Right. Yeah. So she took me away from it. She kind of saved me in a way. Save me, I don't know, maybe. They're all they're all inside now. But, right. Um, yeah. Did you, were you just travelling around the world as a couple? Yeah, just a couple, just going... Were you jobbing out there? No, or? no job whatsoever. She was quite... She had a flat in London that she rented out. Right, okay. So there was a few quid So the income that. was coming yeah, in from was, that. Yeah, there was from that. 
And we just went off and did, you know. We just had fun, you know. And How old are you now? I'm now 20, 23. Right. I'm 23. God, so that's I'm a off. lot you've packed in. Yeah, in, loads in, now. In those yeah. small amount of years. Yeah, there's, that's all coming in now. Yeah, 23, 24. And that was, then it came back and drifted around for a bit and then got landed some job in the West End. Which in, um, which was so the awesome. acting came back? Yeah, I just kind of... You weren't yourself. doing anything when you were going around the world? No, no. nothing at all. No, I just, um, you know, just uh, just having the ball, having the, the loveliest time in the world, you know. We didn't have any money. It was really sort of the most... Ext- I mean, again, I'm pinching myself all the time going, I can't believe I'm here. I cannot yeah. believe that I am here. I'm in this part of the world. How, the f- how have I got here, you know? And, um, and then... I got this job in the West End, and um, I did it. And then it started, I thought, maybe there's an opportunity here. Maybe I should start to try and do this, you know. I don't want to say, at this point, did you take it seriously? Because I don't, I don't mean that, but did you uh, think about, no, I'm going to put all my heart and soul into this, and this is going to be my career now, or were you still on the fence? I didn't know what I wanted, you know. Right. I had no idea. You know, I hadn't really had that, uh, that, that thing hadn't happened. That I thought, oh, I could get up here. I had my band. When I auditioned for this thing, it was the Buddy Holly story, you know. Right. And I, instead of, I just turned up and with my band. With the band? With, on stage for the audition. And they went to me like, I got to do about 12 songs, I think. It was just, it was just, we did, it was like, really? they were laughing their heads off. Oh, like, what else do you do? And they said, and they said, offered me the job and they went, listen, we'll have you, but they're not coming. Which was like, you know, it's good. I everything was a joke, you know what I mean? Everything was a... I couldn't believe it. And then I'd suddenly be at the Victoria Palace looking at it going, what am I doing here? Yeah. I never... I sound like I'm... I, like I, 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 I'm kind of fearful of it all, really. But I just never understood how I could have managed to got there, you know. Did you feel accepted, though? Did you feel, no, I, I, even I though you were going... How I, I didn't there because I suddenly, you know, I'd been this heavily politicised through college by people... And I'd been with all these people that were kind of big, you know, all the the people I'd met through gigging and that, all heavy left-wing politics. You know, everything was great, is how I felt. And as soon as I went to the West End, people were reading The Sun. You right. know, and I couldn't get my head around I kind of felt a bit like a, a round peg in a, in a square hole. Yeah. I never felt comfortable there. Uh, although I did have I had a lot of fun. Yeah. And a great, you know, great. And how long were you there for? Like, I was year? there for a year and then I went on tour for 18 months. It was extraordinary just just to see all those theatres around the country, you know, and really go. God, there is another. There are, there's other parts of the, you know the, of the country as well. Did you feel you were learning anything from that, or um, was it did, it? did it did it cease to become that and just don't became think it a was, job? I didn't. Yeah, I don't think I. I think I, I mean, you think you're always learning, and I, th- I think subconsciously I was learning all the time. I think I was trying to learn more about me and where my where my. Th- and there was a very important time for my life at that point, is that during that run. My father went to prison for double murder. So the whole thing, I, I, I now had this thing about acting. Is acting, what's it all about? Yeah. Or do I, I, I got this other thing, massive thing going on. And just, just trying to balance the two out, that's where it came unstuck really for me. I couldn't, why can't, am I going to take that seriously when this is really serious? Well, this is real life. But yet I also need that in order to counter that. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So there was this trying to find this balance. And I think I spent the last 25 years trying to find that balance, really. You know, and then when you realise you, you know, you, you, I've had a child by now as well, my first right. child. 
and then suddenly you're trying to care for your parents or care for your mother and protect your sister or, or any of that family. And then you're also trying to, you know, I want to do, be acting because that takes me away from that. And you're kind of left quite lonely, I think. Yeah. You're kind of left in the middle of it all going, what, what am I going to do? And all you really want is someone just to put their arm around you and go, it's going to be all right, you know. You'll, you'll work itself out. I think that's what I was subconsciously looking for at that period of time. Did you, of, <laughs> did you feel you were... I mean, that is such a big thing. I know we've kind of skirted over it. And yeah, I don't yeah, really no, want to no, no. go deep into it because it's, it's beyond personal. Yeah. Um, but it's not a problem for me. No, no, no. But I think we yeah. said... I was going to ask, how, how did that really affect you when you're away and this has happened and you can't be there to yeah. protect those people or yeah. to, to become... The man yeah. that they probably well, need I had one counselling session, you see, and that that was the only one I ever had about it, and that was basically said it's very, it's very rare where the child has to be the parent, and you've been the parent to your to your parents for a long time now, even before this happened, in a sense, you know. Did and you realise you had? I didn't really. I didn't realise until then, and I realised, you know, that even when, and my mum still cries about it a little bit, but you know, even when she was. My old man beat her and stuff like that, and and we would be out in the streets together. She just always felt safe with me, so maybe that was a kind of a maybe. I got all this going on now, you know. Yeah. I'm just like twenty, I'm twenty seven years old now, I think, and it's all like fucking hell. Do you know what I mean? And I'm trying my best because I'm tr- and I'm trying to rise above it, and I'm I'm trying to find my path. Yeah. But then I'm being dragged by that. But then I don't want it to be a negative. I have to be there for them. And, uh, yeah. On the other hand, you need your positive to you help. You need that positive. And it doesn't help that my first wife's father was a chief superintendent. Oh, you're kidding me. No, and my marriage was hysterical. They went, occupation of fathers. And I went, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> I just went, oh, was a... I went to work. Can I tell him he's a murderer? Or, cause I, not, not, not a murderer, but, you know, he's, he's been convicted of murder. Yeah. And they were like, well, no, maybe there's something else you can say. I went, oh. So I had to write down, he's a taxi, taxi. he had a taxi rank anyway. But yeah, he was a taxi driver. So everything was a bit of a mash, Craig. Do you know what I mean? I didn't know if I was coming or going. Yeah. I had no idea what was going I mean, on, man. Let alone working out what kind of actor yeah. you want to be. Or, oh, that's fuck like, that. Fuck that. That, that is, no that time is for so that, by the side. I'm up there being the big bopper singing Chantilly Lakes every night. I'll crack on with that. Do yeah. It. You know, I mean, only once in Ireland when I was, where it was during the trial that I lost it on stage because I had a lot of interaction. And I swore that time I will never, ever allow that world Come into that world. Yeah, I won't even try. I won't even like if even if you're doing Biff in Death of Salesman. I won't. I'm not going to take from that experience and that that shame and put it into that. I had to separate them right down the middle. You know, it was dreadful to be feel like you you you. you were, I was in, I was quite insulted to somebody in the audience. You insulted I, somebody. Yeah, because I had the banter anyway going on yeah. with the character, but I was wrong. You know, and it was during the trial. I was just it came out. And fair play to him, the company manager said, don't bring that into our work. Don't bring it into theatre. People don't, people come to the theatre not for you to fucking, you know, bombard them with something that's going on with you, which I thought was harsh, but ultimately I see his point completely. Yeah. You know, so from that day I've never, ever... And that isn't healthy no, for that, you as a person? No, it's not. That exists there and that exists there, you know. There is no crossover. No. And it can't be because it's, it's destructive. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You finished tour. You finished the tour. Oh, I finished the tour. Yeah, 
And then, all that's done, dusted, and then I split with my first, split with my wife. You know, there's a lot of that. You know, all the reasons that we have and stuff. That's perfect. We don't and, need to um, go into that. But I had a daughter. I had a, I had a two year old daughter. Yeah. And I'm back now thinking I've got to make money. There's You've got no, to provide. I've got to provide. And I, there's one thing I will never do, and that I, I said I will never miss a payment, and I will always be there on time for every time. And I did it for 18 years, and I mean I don't expect to get a medal for it, but it was so important to me that I did it. So it influenced what work I took, what I didn't take, you know. And then, you know, a few years. Just after I split, I met my Rachel. <laughs> Which is obviously your she beautiful current wife. Yeah, yeah, my current wife. And she sorted it all out, really. She just was there. She was that arm that was around me and that... Yeah. She was. She was the... Um... Yeah, she was there for me, you know. When... Things are good. They're really good, yeah, aren't they? Of course they are. And everybody's supportive of what's going on. Yeah. And how do you cope with the lack of control that we have and when things are dark? Because you always, you've never struck me as somebody who is going to sit there and wait for that phone to ring. Never have. I gig all the time, as you know. As you do. Band. Yeah. Got a gig, a right. I do stuff. I'm always on the move. I do, you know, if someone wants a house clearance done, I'll do it. If, you know, I've, I've done jobs where I've been in the West End and I've painted someone's house in the afternoon because I, I'm always, I've got to keep going, you know. And sometimes I crash, as we all do. Yeah. But I won't dwell on it, you know. And I think it's this armour that you put around yourself as well because I'm not going to let anybody hurt me, you know. I'm not going to let, any, let, let, let anything drag me down. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the best that I can and remain positive. And spread a bit of love, really. You know what I mean? I just, yeah. You know that feeling? It's like I can sit there. You know, you can sit there when some casting director has sent an email to you, to, to, to your, to your agent, and said oh, he came and he didn't learn the lines for that. And you go, actually, I did try to learn them, but I was, I and I gave it all. I, I, I refuse, I refuse for that to drag me down. That kind of thing. And know? maybe at that specific moment in that audition, yeah. I, I was nervous, or there was something going on in my Absolutely. personal life that yeah. you don't know. But I, I, no I genuinely gave it. But I gave try you my, my best. hardest yeah. always. I'd never ever shirk from it. And we were always brought up like that. You're always going to give your best, you know. Occasionally, I've you know, I fucked up, as we all have, you know. Occasionally, you get upset by stuff and you think bollocks to this. But even you know, even when I'm on set or in, in any show, everything is so intense for me. I have to. It's not an intensity that is destructive or that's that's pressurized, but it's for me, you know. Because unless I give it, give it, then what's the point? You know? Yeah, what's the point of it? You know, if it's not going to be the best that you can possibly, possibly give do, yeah. as an actor, and I don't make the right choices, we don't make the right choices. Well, who does? I know. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, sometimes they're fucking brilliant, sometimes they're shocking. Man. Yeah, but sometimes they're out of your control. Out of your control, <laughs> like you said, you know, it does. But I've always tried not to dwell on that kind of world. You know, you know, it reminds me. You know, I didn't find this out until years ago, until a couple of years ago. And, and, it, and I'm, I'm only saying it because I feel quite slightly embarrassed about saying it. It's not a massive thing, but I, they, they asked me to sing at school once. And my mum told me the other day, that you know, a couple of years ago, the other day, that I said to them, you'll sing at this golf club, but you need to buy him some shoes because they've got holes in them. Now, you can grab, latch onto that and say, oh, you know, that's the way it was, and we were poor and all that, but I'm not going to allow that to happen, you know. I don't yeah. know if I'm coming across as a bit of a prick here, but no, absolutely I'm, not, not. I'm determined not to allow where I came from, who I'm about, to inform who I am as the man, as the person. That like, you are today. As I am today. Yeah. And all I want to do today is spread 
positivity and you know, yeah. in in every aspect of my life. But if know. you don't do that, then it's gonna, you're going to be dragged down with everybody Man, you're else. You're going to be dragged down in that gutter and pulled down. You and know, doing this, what we do, yeah. is you know, look, there's loads of hard jobs. Where I'm not in the NHS. I'm, but I'm just yeah. talking specifically about what we do. My wife is. <laughs> yes, she is. Yeah. <laughs> but it is hard emotionally. Yeah, you know. On your mental health, it is difficult. Yeah, and I don't think, unless you're in it, you don't understand it, do you? No. Because you could, people go, ah, it's a bit of active on dressing up, man. No, but the thing is, since I've started doing these podcasts, there's so many people who support us and who listen to us who are nothing to do with Absolutely. it. Because what they can connect with is the human journeys and yeah. the human stories, and it yeah. just so happens that they, they may act for a living, they may paint for a living, they may direct, they Absolutely. may spout poetry. You know, yeah. it's, This is what I'm saying about all being relative, you know. And what I said to you earlier about the estate, yeah. well, it's all relative. All our stories are exactly relative. And that's the one thing I, I you know, I, I would say to people, I used to say to people about the incident with my dad and stuff, is that it's all relative. Well, how I feel and how tragic that is, in terms of despair or anger, it's as relative to anybody else who's going through a completely different thing. But if that, emo- that core emotion is the same, we're on the same journey together. You know, it's, you can't say, oh, that's a worse thing. Cool. Double murder is far worse than my dad never telling me that he loved me or something like that. Someone yeah. else saying, you know, I don't know, I don't know. Because you do all sorts of stuff, yeah. And you don't sit around. Do you ever get frustrated with any way that you're treated that you think, do you know what, I'm I'm all right as a person. I don't need to be doing this for a living. Would you ever think about yeah. just? It. Well, no, I don't think so because it's in, it's in you know, it's like... Because you feel a need to be creative. Yeah, just not creative, but I just feel as though it's something that tr- that keeps my blood pumping around my system. You know, it's... it's And maybe, you know, I, I mean, if you speak to a carpenter about it or speak to a steel worker about it, yeah. if that's, that's their fire, that's their thing. It's just the same thing. It's just something that... It's the, it's the juice that runs out. It's the fuel that keeps me going, you know, apart from all the other stuff, family, children and that. But in that aspect, yeah, I, I don't. I get really angry sometimes. Arrogance and the assumption that you have to, you know, be a certain way or you have to respect people. Or, yeah, I don't mean respect people, but they demand that you have to be a certain way or act a certain way. Or change who you are. Or change who you are, yeah. yeah. And I have no time for that. Yeah. Know? Particularly now, I'm, you know, I'm getting a 50. But it's just been a wonderful roller coaster, and I wouldn't, I don't think it changed anything really. And hopefully at the end of it, you can come up and be a nice bloke. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Good dad. You know, I'm really caring to people and care about what you do in life. And that's all we can do, particularly in the climate that we're in. Exactly. You know, and I'd... Um, yeah. Shane. Craig. I love you, man. I love you too, brother. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. You nearly made me cry, you fucking. <laughs> <laughs> and another episode is done. Um, when we recorded, when, when we finished recorded Shane's episode, it was the last one of a very heavy two days of recording. Um, and I was going home on the train and I got some delays and, and things like that. They weren't bothering me. I was totally fine. And all of a sudden I got quite emotional and I didn't know what was going on. Um, my, well, you know, I started crying and I didn't know why I started crying. And I worked out that I've got six or seven people's stories 
still in my brain, just sort of whirling around like a a bloody washing machine. I didn't know what to do. So what I'm still learning doing these podcasts is how to switch off from people's stories and, and disconnect. As an actor, I can do that very easily. But as a podcaster, it's a whole different story. So any help out there, then uh, email twoshoppod at gmail.com. Help me out. But what a brilliant episode. And I can't thank Shane enough. And as I said before, I, I you know I've known Shane for a fair few years, but to sit down with him one-on-one and turn the spotlight all on him was something we've never done. Um, I love him to bits. He's, he is like a, a, a beautiful, big Welsh brother to me. And I can't thank him enough for coming on. And I can't thank you enough for downloading and subscribing and listening. Um, myself and producer Griff are thrilled. Well, I've not much more to say. You know about the tickets for Bath Festival with Charlie and Daisy May Cooper from this country. You know that. Bathfestivals.org. You know about Dave Haslam. You know about Paddy Considine. It's Dice FM. Go get your tickets. If you can, I don't know, it might have sold out. Kendall Collins certainly sold out. So that's it. That's all I have to say. And until next week, I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff. And this has been the Two Shot Podcast. Take care, stay safe, be kind. I'll see you next week. All right, bye. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers. <laughs>